0: I know some of you are new. I see some new faces uh, here at Impact tonight. I want to welcome you to Impact. We've been walking through Revelation together since August. Uh, And so you're going to be a little bit behind, maybe a little bit confused, but hopefully uh, God's Word will speak clearly to all of us in this room tonight. I texted uh, some of our seniors earlier this week, and I sent them this meme. If you don't care to put the meme on the screen... Uh, I actually watched Tangled this week. My kids are kind of getting into movies. Tangled is one of the ones we kind of threw out there, uh, and they liked it. And there's this scene where, right, this guy he's he he's just surrounded with swords. Now this meme has been created, and what basically, what opinion do you have? What take do you have that's got you like like this? Just at. the the knife point. What is your unpopular opinion? I told some of our seniors, I said, the best response will get featured in my message on Wednesday nights. And I'm going to just be blatantly honest. All of the responses were so bad, so bad, but it's like, that's exactly the point of the meme. They're supposed to be bad. They're supposed to be unpopular. They're supposed to make you cringe a little bit, and so you know what? I couldn't actually choose one, and so I'm going to feature a couple. First, we got Abram McNutt, Uh, and sorry, Nathan, I'm just quoting, quoting his unpopular opinion. Three words. Nathan is funny. That's his unpopular opinion. Abram thinks Nathan is funny. Apparently, nobody else does. I do, but that's just, that's, Abram said it. Caleb Johnson. Taylor Swift is the most famous person on earth. If you know Caleb, you know he's not joking. He's not joking. If you know Messi, Ronaldo, yeah, Taylor Swift, he's above them, according to Caleb Johnson. Third, we got Sadie Lowe, who said this outrageous take, Patrick Mahomes is the greatest quarterback of all time. Like, sorry, enters the chat, Tom Brady, okay? Not true. This one really got me, this got my gears grinding when I heard this one from Annie Kelly. It literally will make me mad as I read it. Horse riding is a (laughs) sport. I literally get fumes coming out of me when I read this statement. And you know what's worse? She's also not kidding, okay? And then the final one, I got this one today and nearly fell out of my seat. It's from Ashley Bonamy. And I don't even know what's going on here, Ashley. Quote, being emotionally attached to a water bottle is okay. Like, I actually, me and Ashley now have a lot of sessions to work through before she graduates because this is concerning. I don't know what your unpopular opinion is. To be honest, I have a lot of unpopular opinions, but you know, as I read Revelation, I think just about every interpretation, every, every take, every opinion I have of Revelation, kind of aligns with this meme. And that's because in many ways, and you guys know this if you've been with me since August, I happily go against this modern, this Western interpretation of Revelation that is so common where we live. And you see, as I read this book, as I read the scriptures, I don't agree, for instance, that Jesus is coming back before a so-called seven-year period known as the Great Tribulation. He's coming back before that period to rapture his church out of the world into heaven so they don't have to go through this tribulation. That's what's common. That's what's modern. I don't agree. I'm not a pre-tribulationist, but instead I'm a post-tribulationist, which means I think Jesus is coming back after that Great Tribulation, which obviously means that I believe the church is in the Great Tribulation. But it's not, just, it's not just that. If you've been following me as I've preached through this book, I also don't believe the Great Tribulation is a literal seven-year period. I don't see scriptural evidence for that. I'm not saying it's not valid. I'm not saying it might not be true. I don't see it. Instead, I believe this Great Tribulation is the entire span of time from Christ's first coming to his second coming, otherwise known as the church age. So that's obviously not seven years, but... As of now, that's 2,000 years in counting of the Great Tribulation in my book. And if that wasn't enough, if that doesn't put me under this meme already, tonight I'm going to add another layer to it. Because not just do I believe that the church will be in the Tribulation, and not just do I believe that the Tribulation is the entire age of the church, but third. I believe, and we're going to see tonight, that there's aspects of this great tribulation that are actually specifically designed, sovereignly meant for the church. God has appointed parts of the great tribulation, not just for you to be in, but for you to endure. It is for you and me, if we are followers of Jesus Christ. But please hear me. Please know my heart. I'm not taking these interpretations because I just want to be different. I promise that's not it. I don't want to be controversial. All I want to do, and I hope all you want to do, I hope all anyone wants to do, is just be faithful to God's word. That's what I'm trying to do. And one of the key passages here that informs my understanding of this great tribulation is going to be tonight's passage. It is huge. I'm glad you're here. Because if you want to understand Revelation, if you understand the Tribulation, tonight's passage is absolutely crucial for you. We're going to end up covering four chapters in three weeks. Tonight starts that. So for the next three weeks, block off Wednesday night. You're here because we're going to be walking through four chapters in this book. And one of those main texts in the entire book, but also in those four chapters, is right here tonight. And here's what I believe the main point of this passage is. The main point, I believe, is that the church is meant, is meant to suffer in the trumpets of tribulation. Notice, I am saying that the church isn't just in the tribulation, but we are meant, particularly when it comes to these first four trumpets of the tribulation, they're actually designed for you and me. They're actually designed by the hand of God, by his wisdom, by his grace, for your suffering and for my suffering. And I think that's what we're going to see in our passage tonight. So with your Bibles open to Revelation 8, to start us off, I'm just going to read verse 6, we'll pray, and then we'll walk through this entire text. Revelation 8 verse 6 says this, now... The seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need nothing but your grace tonight. As we come before you, as we dwell in your presence, as we bow before your cross tonight, the only thing we have is full hearts and empty hands. All we have to offer you is ourselves tonight. We come to you, to your throne of grace, seeking you. And God, we seek you through your word tonight. So God, I pray that your word, it's a tough text tonight, but I pray you would make it clear. And that we would be prepared to live in 2024 and for the rest of our lives until you come back, we would be prepared to For whatever you have for us, knowing that all things are working together, even right now, even in our suffering, for our good and for your glory. God, show us that tonight and help us believe it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, obviously, we're going to read uh, a passage about trumpets tonight. And I, I can't, I'm sorry, I can't start on this text about trumpets until... I tell a story about another senior in our ministry, and her name is Kinsley. Uh, Kinsley, where are you? Raise your hand. Are you here tonight? Kinsley's right over there. Uh, You can get her autograph after this because she's going to be a legend after this story that I have for you. Kinsley is a senior at New Covenant. She plays basketball at New Covenant, and I think it was probably like her sophomore or junior year. And she's in the hallway over there at the point. She's in the hallway waiting for practice. It's a normal day. It's it's a very ordinary day when all of a sudden, Kinsley hears the sound of a loud trumpet. A trumpet. And she knows her Bible. And she's like, this is the trumpets of Revelation. So Kinsley, she falls to her knees and she bows. She lifts her hands to the heavens and says, Lord, take me now. It's the trumpets. Guys, it's, it's the trumpets. The Lord is coming back. Well, obviously that was two years ago. The Lord did not come back. And Kinsley was wrong. That's what she thought was happening. It, it turns out, I'm sorry, Kinsley, it wasn't a trumpet. It was actually a, a chair being scooted across the floor. But Kinsley was convinced in that moment that this was the Lord sounding his trumpet and he's coming back. Now it, it turns out here that she was actually wrong about a lot. Sorry. She was also right about something. So first off, let's just, let's just identify what she was wrong about. She, she clearly has no idea what a trumpet sounds like, okay? But I think she would also say at this point she studied Revelation with me at New Covenant. She studied Revelation with me here on Wednesday night. I think she would also say, yeah, I was wrong that there's going to be an audible trumpet call, that there's going to be a singular trumpet call, that there's going to be a literal trumpet call. I think at this point she would say, yeah, I got that wrong. But I will tell you, Kinsley was right on that day. She was right that there is, in fact, trumpets blowing right now as we speak. Now, they don't sound like chairs. In fact, they don't even sound like anything at all because these trumpets from Revelation, they don't have a sound. But while she was in that hallway and while you're here at Impact here tonight, guess what? There are trumpets sounding. There are trumpets blowing, and it is the trumpets of Revelation, and even though we can't hear them, they are blowing right now as we speak. So the first thing we're going to do tonight is, is we're just going to get really basic, and this is not basic, so that's not very fair, but we're just going to give an, a general overview of these first four trumpets, and it's this, these trumpets are blowing, We're going to look at each one in detail here, but but that's the overview. These first four trumpets, we're going to save the last three for a later date. These first four we're covering tonight, they're blowing. And now these trumpets in Revelation, they're not literal trumpets, I don't think. They're symbolic trumpets. And just like the seals earlier in this book, these trumpets are symbolic trumpets. Of past, of present, and of future events that are taking place throughout the history of the church. Okay? So, in other words, this means that for at least our trumpets tonight, they're not necessarily specific events. And they're not necessarily singular events, but but instead they're symbolic events that are communicating common experiences taking place throughout the history of the church. So so to just pick on Kinsley one last time, the the trumpets aren't audible, they're not singular, but she's right, they are blowing. In fact, they've been blowing for 2,000 years now. And so let's let's look, just a general overview, overview at these first four trumpets. Let's dive into the first trumpet. This first trumpet is found in Revelation chapter 8, verse 7, and it says this. It says, The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up. And a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. That's the first trumpet, and there's a lot to dissect here. But for just a general overview, suffice it to say this, whoever or whatever is the object of this first trumpet, I believe the language in this trumpet suggests that they're going through or will go through a famine. I mean, just just think about this with me. You have hail, you have fire, it's mixed with blood thrown down on the earth. As a result of that, a third of the earth is burned up, a third of the trees are burned up. All the green grass is burned up. So you have no earth, you have no trees, you have no grass, you have no crops. What does that produce? It produces a famine. And so to me here, the the picture I see in this first trumpet is is a symbol. that The earth is almost becoming like a desert. It's completely void of natural life, completely void of resources. And so whoever or whatever is the object of this first trumpet, It seems to me like they're suffering through a famine, which, if you remember, this aligns back to the third seal in Revelation 6, where the famine was the content of that seal as well. Next, we have the the second trumpet. We'll go back and talk about these more in detail, but next we have the second trumpet. This second trumpet is found in verses 8 and 9, and it says this. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood. A third of living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. So here's the second trumpet it's a new picture. This time we have a great mountain, it's burning with fire, gets thrown into the sea, and as a result of that, That mountain kills a third of the sea creatures, and it destroys a third of the ships on that sea. Now, if you'll remember, back to the sixth seal in Revelation 6, we made the point back in December, I think it was, that objects such as mountains are often used by the Bible to symbolically describe political leaders or earthly kingdoms or perhaps earthly governments— And we see this kind of all over the place, to be honest. Jeremiah 51, the kingdom of Babylon, is called a destroying mountain. Symbolically, Babylon is a mountain. And so here in this second trumpet, that's what I think is being represented here. It's being pictured here. It's symbolizing earthly kingdoms, perhaps earthly leaders, who are causing great destruction on whoever is the object of this trumpet. But this trumpet, it doesn't just symbolize political opposition, but I think it also symbolizes economic hardships for these individuals as well. And, and how do we know that? Well, when this great mountain gets thrown to the sea, it kills a third of the sea creatures. But what else happens? A third of the ships on that sea get destroyed. Who, who cares? They're, they're ships. Like, Are they pirate ships? Like, what's going on with these ships? Well, 2,000 years ago, when Revelation was written, ships were a huge part of the economy. Ships were used to trade goods, to transport goods. Ships are what kept, pun intended, the economy afloat during this time. And so if a third of the ships are getting destroyed by this great mountain, that would inevitably cause what? Well, a huge economic hardship to fall on the people in whom those ships belong. So a third of the people are facing economic hardship. That's the point of the second trumpet. Next, we have the third trumpet. Revelation 8, 10 and 11 says this. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and of the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. So third trumpet, third picture, we have a great star falls from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it falls on a third of the rivers, a third of the springs of water, which results in the waters becoming bitter. It results in the waters becoming wormwood. Now, I suspect you guys aren't familiar with wormwood. Wormwood is a type of plant. It's a type of very, very bitter plant. It can even be a poisonous plant. And so what's happening in this third trumpet? Well, a third of the waters become bitter like wormwood, and as a result of people drinking that water, many of them die. A third, I believe, of them die. So whoever this trumpet, whoever this third is and all these trumpets, they're experiencing tribulation. In this third one, they're experiencing bitterness. Life is difficult for them. They're experiencing loss. They're experiencing hardships. They're experiencing illness. They're experiencing death. These are the points of these trumpets so far. And next we have the fourth trumpet. This trumpet's found in verse 12 and it says this. The fourth angel blew his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of the light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. This is the fourth trumpet, and here we have a third of the sun, a third of the moon, a third of the stars. They're all struck, and as a result, a third of the light is darkened, a third of the day is kept from shining, and a third of the night is kept from shining too. And so the picture here, we get in this fourth trumpet, is darkness is now covering a third of the earth. Whoever is under that third is now experiencing darkness because of this fourth trumpet. That's the point. That's the picture. Now, I don't think this fourth trumpet is talking about a literal physical darkness. This is symbolic. I think it goes beyond that. I think we're talking about a type of spiritual darkness that is cast upon this one third, perhaps a Mental, perhaps a emotional darkness that is cast upon the one-third as a result of this fourth trumpet. They are going to experience darkness in their lives. Perhaps forever the object of this fourth trumpet is, perhaps they're even going to experience this feeling where they're surrounded by darkness and there's no way to get out. Perhaps... Some of you have felt that way before. I certainly don't want to twist scriptures or make this sermon out to be more than what it needs to be, but when we think about darkness, we think about depression, and we think about mental illness, it's not out of the question to me to think that these darknesses are brought on by this fourth trumpet. And so it's it's no secret that that we, as a country, as a world, right now as we speak, we are in what is being called a mental health crisis. There was a 2020 study done where one in five adults, adults, one in five, 20% of American adults in 2020 admitted to experiencing mental illnesses each year. The following year, 2021, our country went into, quote, a national state of emergency in children's mental health. And so we're in a mental health crisis, and while maybe some of these terms might be new, perhaps our awareness of what's going on might be new, the reality is, is that depression, mental illness, these things, this darkness, is by no means a new thing. One of my favorite preachers of all time, he's a guy named Charles Spurgeon. And he lived in the 1800s, 200 years ago. And what what most people don't know about Charles Spurgeon was that on top of being an amazing preacher, he also struggled heavily his entire life with depression. Before mental health and depression were popular things to talk about, before there was a lot known about these things, here's what Charles Spurgeon said on this topic. Because he experienced it. He said this the mind, the mind can descend far lower than the body. For the mind, there are bottomless pits. The flesh can bear only a certain number of wounds and no more, but the soul can bleed in 10,000 ways and die over and over and over again each hour. I know this is heavy, but I also know that some of you know exactly what he's talking about because you have experienced it for yourself. Now, what I want you to hear tonight is you are not alone. Charles Spurgeon has experienced this. So many people in this room have experienced this. And if you've ever walked through what Spurgeon walked through, you know what it's like, right? You know this fourth trumpet. You know what it's like for your mind to go into a bottomless pit. What it's like to be surrounded by darkness, to feel depressed, to feel like the light is darkened, to feel like the day and the night are kept from shining. And if so, then then like Charles Spurgeon, you know this fourth trumpet all too well. You are the third that is being affected by this fourth trumpet. And so perhaps that transitions us into our next section because we can overview what these trumpets contain all we want. Famine, political, economic, oppression, bitterness, darkness. But we really need to know who these trumpets are directed towards, don't we? Who's the one third? Who is meant to experience the effects of these trumpets And why? Like, maybe you have this question, why? God's going to have an answer tonight. And that's going to take us from an overview to what I'm going to call for now the controversy. And this is where my understanding of what's going on in Revelation starts to take a drastic turn from what everyone mainstream in this area thinks is going on in Revelation. Because what I'm seeing... First, let's just just lay out the controversy. Did you see something that was repeated in the first four trumpets? It was a a fraction. It was a third. And the controversy is, is what's going on with this third? The trumpets are blowing on one-third of the earth. In the first trumpet, it was a third of the earth and a third of the trees. In the second trumpet, it was a third of the sea, a third of the sea creatures, and a third of the ships. In the third trumpet... It was a third of the rivers and a third of the springs. And in the fourth trumpet, it was a third of the sun, a third of the moon, a third of the stars, a third of the light, a third of the day, a third of the night. And so in just five very short verses, the Bible labors for you and me to recognize that a third is being affected here. It is mentioned 13 times in five verses. So it's clear to me that these first four trumpets are directed at a third of the earth, but that doesn't help. Who is the third? Am I the third? Are you the third? So in my opinion here, there's two feasible options. The first option is that this one-third is symbolizing a partial judgment on unbelievers, So that would mean that everything we just got done reading in these first four trumpets, famine, political economic oppression, bitterness, darkness, all the things, it's all directed here. It's all meant for unbelievers. And it's communicating the way in which God is partially judging them now because a third is a third of a whole. A whole is coming. A whole cup of God's wrath is coming, but right now it's just a third. That's option number one. And I'll say, that's a feasible interpretation. People I love and respect take that interpretation, but humbly, I just got to say here, it's not my interpretation. The second option I want to present to you, and I, I want you to believe because I see this in the scripture and I'm going to explain why, this is my interpretation, is that this one-third in these trumpets are symbolically representing Us the church of Jesus Christ. And therefore, these first four trumpets are actually aspects of the great tribulation that we, the church in particular, are meant to go through. And so this is the controversy, I I wouldn't bring this up if I didn't think it was true. Because if you're connecting the pieces, I've already mentioned it, I'm not just saying the church is in the tribulation, but now I'm saying the church is actually the object of at least parts of this tribulation. These first four trumpets, I'm saying, are meant for you, are meant, designed for me. So I don't don't personally believe that these trumpets are directed at unbelievers. It's their tribulation. But I believe these trumpets are directed at us. It's our tribulation. Now, I can't just say that and and just move on because, again, this is a controversial claim. In fact, I am in the minority, I will admit, when it comes to this particular interpretation. And so I'm going to say this. I better tell you why. And show you where I believe it. And so let me give you three reasons why I believe this one-third in these first four trumpets are symbolizing you and me, the church, in our tribulation here on earth. Reason number one. The prophet Zechariah prophesied about a one-third that is going to be set aside By God, to be tested by fire. On the screen, you're going to see Zechariah chapter 13, verses 7 and 9. And here's the prophecy. It says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd. Against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. In the whole land, don't miss this, declares the Lord, two-thirds shall be cut off and perish and one-third shall be left alive. And I will put this third, the one-third, into the fire and refine them as one refines silver and test them as gold is tested. They, that's the third, will call upon my name and I will answer them. I will say, They are my people, and they will say, The Lord is my God. And so, a couple of key things about this prophecy. First, who's the shepherd in verse 7? Now, it should be pretty easy. The shepherd is Jesus. And we see this all throughout the, the Bible, the Old and New Testament. Jesus is our shepherd. And here in Zechariah, the prophecy is that God is going to strike the shepherd. And we know this happens, right? He strikes Jesus. This happens at the cross. The sword of the Lord goes against the shepherd, against Jesus. But second, who are the sheep that is going to be scattered as a result of the shepherd being struck? It it's clear to me that if the shepherd is Jesus, then the sheep that are scattered are going to be his people, which we know is the church. It's us. It's you. It's me. So God's going to strike the shepherd, and he's going to scatter the sheep. And why would he do that? What's the purpose? According to Zechariah, it is to refine the sheep and to test them so that they grow in their dependence upon the Lord. Now, what's even more significant about this prophecy is that these sheep who are scattered in verse 7 become synonymous with the one-third who are tested by fire in verses 8 and 9. So don't miss this. You've got to follow me here. What I'm saying is Zechariah prophesies in verse 7, God's going to scatter the sheep. He's talking about the exact same group of people in verses 8 and 9 when he calls them a third. It's the same group of people. The church in verse 7 is the church in verse 8 and 9. So, when we turn back to Revelation, we just, and we read these first four trumpets, and we read 13 times in five verses that a third, one third, is going to be put through the fire. To me, it makes a whole lot of sense that this one third in Revelation with these trumpets is taking us back to this prophecy made by Zechariah about who? The sheep. You, me, if we've trusted in Jesus, the church, we are going to be put through the fire through the trumpets of tribulation. In other words, I believe the trumpets are actually the fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy. You and I, as we endure these trumpets right now, we are fulfilling. We are watching it unfold, this prophecy Becoming true. They're meant for us. We're the one-third. That's reason number one. Zechariah prophesied about the one-third who would be put through the fire. Second reason, and I'm going to only give you two reasons. The New Testament regularly speaks about the church being put through fire. About the church being tested by fire. you may have missed this. Did you notice as we read through those first four trumpets, the first three actually explicitly mention fire? Like, again, the Bible goes out of the way to mention, hey, a third is being affected. Maybe that matters. It also goes out of the way to mention that they're being affected by fire. Look back in Revelation with me. Chapter 8, verse 7 The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hell and fire. And these were thrown upon the earth. A third of the earth was burned up by that fire. A third of the trees, burned up. A third of the green grass, burned up. Verse 8, second trumpet. Second angel blows it. Something like a great mountain, burning with fire. The mountain is burning with fire as it's thrown into the sea and affects a third of the sea creatures in the ships. Verse 10, the third angel blows his trumpet. A great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch. What's a torch? It's a stick with fire, right? And it falls on a third of the rivers on the springs of water. And so not only is a third mentioned everywhere in these trumpets, but the Bible seems to go out of its way to also mention fire. It's everywhere. And why does that matter? Well, because not only did Zechariah tell us this is how would we be how we would be tested, the one-third would be tested, but it's also all over the New Testament. So if you don't like the Old Testament for whatever reason, that's not good, but let me tell you, the New Testament tells you the exact same thing. First Peter chapter 1, 6 and 7, it'll be on the screen. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Peter is writing to a scattered church. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let me show you one more. 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial. Don't be surprised. At the trials and tribulations, when they come upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So, if we believe the Bible, it should not be strange to us. In fact, this should be common for us to read about fire being used to test the church. This shouldn't shock you. That's exactly what I, what's happening in these first four trumpets. Fire is being used to test the one-third. And so here's my point. To put this all together, I believe the first four trumpets are the tribulations, the great tribulation, that God is allowing his church to go through. It may include famine. It may include political and economic oppression. It may include bitterness, illness. It may include darkness and so much more. That doesn't help us, though, because here's my next question. If this is us, why, God? If you've experienced these first four trumpets and you're a member of the body of Christ, why would God allow you to go through these things? You should ask that question. I ask that question. Why would you allow me to endure what I'm enduring Why would you let me go through these trumpets? Why have you designed them for me, for us? If you're going to ask that question to God, let me give you one piece of advice. Let Him answer the question. Let's let Him answer the question. When we go back to Zechariah 13, when we look in verse 9, he says the answer. He tells you the reason he is putting you through the fire. So that they will call upon my name. And I will answer them and I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is my God. And so the fire... For the one-third causes them to depend more completely upon their God. When we go back to 1 Peter 1, he says that the reason he allows us to be grieved by various trials is not because he's not nice, is not because he wants you to have a great life, it's because he wants your faith to be made more precious than gold. I get it, we may not like it, and we may not perfectly understand it. Trust me, I don't. But I do know this. In his infinite wisdom, and in his unconditional love, and in his goodness towards me, my God allows me to suffer so that my faith may be made more precious, may be made more genuine, at the revelation of Jesus Christ and so that I may depend on him more truthfully and completely down here. That's why I believe that God has designed, designed the first four trumpets to come upon us, his one third, to test us, to refine us and to form us into who he desires us to be. And so if you've ever experienced these first four trumpets, As a follower of Jesus, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't believe me, listen to what Charles Spurgeon, who I mentioned earlier, is the preacher who lived with depression his whole life. Here's what he says. Here's what he thinks about the fourth trumpet because he experienced it. He says, I'm afraid that all the grace I have got of my comfortable and easy times and happy hours might almost lie a penny. But the good I have received from my sorrows and pains and griefs is altogether incalculable. And then he says this, Affliction is the best book in a minister's library. And so if you ask Charles Spurgeon, who suffered depression and darkness his entire life. He'll tell you that enduring this fourth trumpet, suffering depression, suffering darkness, it was incalculably better for him than all the comfortable times, all the easy times, all the happy times he had in his entire life combined. That's what Spurgeon would tell you about that. He realized, because he experienced it, that this darkness that surrounded him actually led him to more faithfully and more deeply and more truthfully depend upon the Lord than he ever would have if he did not go through that fourth trumpet. Perhaps this is really, really hard for us to fathom, for us to swallow, but this was God's plan his good and loving plan for Charles Spurgeon. And I believe that whatever you're walking through tonight, whatever suffering you're going through tonight, whether it be famine or bitterness or darkness or whatever it may be, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, like Spurgeon, like myself, God has sovereignly designed these tribulations so that you may trust in him more deeply, so that you may depend on him more completely. That's why. Don't you ever doubt that God is in control of your life. And don't you ever doubt that God is good, that he loves you, that he knows what he's doing. He has told you what he's doing. He's allowing you to go through what you're going through. He's allowing us to go through what we're going through because he desires our faith to be purified and for our hearts to be more connected to him than ever before. And that's what the first four trumpets are doing. So as we endure them, don't be surprised at these fiery trials, but allow the darkness to lead you closer to the light. That's what it's there for. So let me make just just one final comment. Because there's something else coming. These trumpets are blowing. We are suffering in them. But I want us to remember one thing tonight. Not just the reason God is doing it, but I want you to remember that these trumpets, they're not going to blow forever. These trumpets will not last. I can't think of a better way to end than this good news. My good and my loving and my wise God has chosen to allow difficulties, darkness in my life, in perhaps your life, tribulations in your life to make me and my faith more perfect. But that doesn't make it easy. But here's what's even better my good my loving my wise god he is not going to allow these tribulations or this darkness these sufferings to last forever he's not going to allow it there's another trumpet coming there's a final trumpet coming and it's the seventh trumpet And on the day of that seventh trumpet, which we're going to see in the weeks to come, all these trumpets that are sounding right now, they stop. All the famine and political and economic oppression, the bitterness, the darkness that you're facing right now, it stops because the trumpets aren't blowing. One final trumpet remains. It's the seventh trumpet where Jesus Christ, the one who died for your sins and rose from the dead and ascended to heaven is coming back at the sound of the seventh trumpet. And he has promised you, he has assured you that on that day when he returns, the darkness that surrounds you, the difficulties that surround you, the heartbreak that surrounds you, it all has an expiration date. It ends. It's done. He comes back. He saves you once and for all, and he ushers in a new kingdom, new Jerusalem, where there's no more pain and no more suffering. That day is coming. So here on earth, what do we do? We worship God through the darkness right now. We sang at the beginning, it is well. I want to invite our band back up because we're going to sing it one time, but before... Before we do, as they come up, I just want to read the lyrics to this song really quickly because I think sometimes we miss it. This is what it says. This this song is about the trumpets, not maybe on purpose, but it is. Here's what the song says. It says, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll." Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, O the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul, and I love this last line. We're going through all this stuff. And Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll." Don't miss this. The Trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Whatever you're walking through right now, it has an expiration date. Worship God through the darkness. And let's do it together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy and for your grace. And we thank you that you have not allowed darkness to overcome us, but you have given us, you've given us Jesus, the light. And though darkness surrounds us, though darkness overcomes us, God, Jesus is here tonight and we can cling to the light. So God, I pray that whatever tribulation a student is walking through tonight, they would lift their burdens up to you. Perhaps they would come to Jesus tonight. Perhaps those who are in Christ would come and bow before you and ask for more grace. God, would you meet every need in this room tonight and would you you heal every heart? It's in Christ's name we pray.